You're listening to Good Shepherd Brentwood's Sermon Feed. Today's sermon was preached by Mother Natalie Van Kirk and recorded on the 13th Sunday after Pentecost, August 27th, 2023. Name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Be seated, please. Friends, the title of my sermon for this morning is What Goes Around Comes Around Again. Now, last week, Father Fred told you that when the ancient rabbis read these stories of Jacob and Laban and Rachel and Leah, that they'd concluded that at some point or another, Rachel and Jacob had had a conversation in which Rachel told Jacob, you will never, ever outsmart my daddy. So far as Rachel knew, there was no one better at double dealing and outright lying and cheating and all those things than her daddy. Of course, at that point, she probably didn't know her first cousin and soon-to-be husband all that well. And the week before that sermon, I had told you that when you approach the world and others as though everything you want must be gotten by hook or crook, seized, and maybe even outright stolen, that you would be on the end eventually of that same sort of behavior. What goes around comes around. And this week, the story of Jacob and Leah and Rachel and Laban spins around one more time, and what goes around will come around again. Now, let me catch you up on where we are in the story. Early on in the story, Jacob pulled a couple of really dirty tricks on his brother Esau. And by the means of those tricks, he managed to steal Esau's birthright, which meant everything he was going to inherit, as well as Esau's proper blessing from their father. Esau was understandably furious, and Jacob was forced to flee for his life to his mother's brother's family, dear old Uncle Laban in Mesopotamia. Now, when Jacob got to the place where Laban lived, he meet and met and instantly fell in love. Oh, he was so in love with Rachel, Laban's younger daughter. All he wanted in the whole world was to have Rachel for his wife, and so he agreed to work for seven years for free for Laban so that he could marry her. And when the time came to marry Rachel, Laban substituted his older daughter, Leah. And when Jacob objected to this, he said, well, you can have her next week, but then you have to work for me for another seven years. When this morning's episode opens, those seven years have been completed. And Jacob has been a very busy man. He's managed all of Laban's flocks and all of his business affairs, and he's made Laban a a really rich man. And, And in the midst of all of this animal husbandry, Jacob has 
wife Leah, who's borne him six sons, and Leah's maid Zilpah has borne him two sons, and Rachel's maid Bilhah has borne him two sons, and finally Rachel has borne him a son, and they've named him Joseph. And Jacob looked around, and he had ten sons, and two wives, and two maids, and not a shekel to his name. It was all Laban's. And he decided he wanted to go home. So he went to Laban and he asked to take his children and his wives and leave. And he pointed out to Laban that Laban had become a rich man in the 14 years that Jacob had been there. And it was time for him to move on. Now Laban, as always, is a shifty character. And so he's not going to let this happen. And he tells Jacob that, you know, I had to go to the soothsayer, and the soothsayer tells me that the reason that I have done so well is because you have been here with me. Now think about this for a minute. Laban couldn't see it for himself. He had to go to the soothsayer to discover that the fact that Jacob was there is the reason why he was doing so well. He couldn't even tell it or admit it on his own. But there was no way that Jacob was going to get to leave. So Laban wasn't going to agree to a split in the flocks. He wasn't going to give Jacob any of the necessary things for making such a long journey. And he finally, to end the conversation, asks Jacob what he would want. Not, I suspect, in order to come to any agreement, because, but because he could go, oh, I can't believe you asked for that. It's totally unreasonable. We can't even have this conversation. You're not going anywhere. But what goes around comes around again. And Jacob actually says he wants nothing. Nothing but to ask Laban, to let him cull from the flocks and the herds all the spotted, speckled, and striped lambs and kids that Laban has in his herd. And Jacob will use these to build his herds. And in return, in the time being, Jacob will continue to manage Laban's flocks. Now Laban had to have been thrilled with that request. Spotted and speckled and striped lambs and kids just aren't born that frequently. And that meant Jacob was going to be there forever. And what's more, those sorts of animals are less valuable than the normal gray lambs or sheep and the normal black goats. With this deal, Laban was going to keep all the more valuable animals and he just wasn't going to have enough for, Lab for Jacob to build his own flocks. This was going to work out just great, wasn't it? Oh, it was going to be so good because Jacob was never going to get to go. And that very day, Laban sent his sons out and they called all the spotted and speckled and striped lambs and goats out of the herd and they took them three days away so that Jacob couldn't find them and start breeding his own flock. 
Now, a lot of this next part of the sermon was not in the reading, mostly because I didn't think we wanted to be here all day. That you can find it in chapter 31 of Genesis, and I'm going to try and fill in the blanks for you so that you understand the story. Jacob, you see, knew something that Laban apparently didn't. According to what the folklore of the time believed, he gathered together shoots of almond and plane and poplar trees, and he peeled the bark off of them right down to their white core. And then he set them all upright around the watering hole. Because when sheep and goats are in heat, they breed near a water supply. And so the ancient people believed that if they bred while they were looking at these striped white poles, that they would have streaky, spotted, and speckled lambs and kids. And when they did, Jacob carefully set those aside. And when weak or feeble animals came down to drink, he pulled up all his poles and sent them to breed with Laban's flock. In this way, after about six years, Jacob had built up large flocks and herds, and he'd even managed to obtain donkeys and camels. He was a rich man. And Laban, well, Laban's flocks were all properly gray or black, but they didn't look nearly as good as they once had. And Laban's sons noticed this. You know, that was their inheritance that they, we were talking about. And so they began to grumble about it among themselves. They weren't sure how, but they were pretty sure Jacob had swindled their father. And Laban had noticed that there was a problem too. And he was not so happy with Jacob as he once had been. And their complaints got back to Jacob and he knew it was time to leave. He especially knew that because God came to him in a dream and told him it was time to go. And so he wanted to pack everyone up and head home to Canaan. He calls Rachel and Leah to them, and he goes through this long story about how God had caused all these speckled and spotted and streaky lambs to be born in order to make up for all the nasty tricks that Laban had pulled on Jacob. Apparently, his wives didn't know about the nasty trick with the white stakes. So he's got another reason why all of those spotted and speckled and streaky lambs were born. Now, far be it for me to deny the Lord's revelation to Jacob, but it is amazing to me that the Lord's explanation to Jacob about the rightness of all those spotted and speckled and streaky lambs and kids is just so perfectly justified for Jacob. The whole part of the story, that whole part of the story about Jacob's conversation with God sounds a lot to me like Jacob embellished what he had heard in order to convince his wives to get them to agree to leave with him and leave their father behind. I don't know. I don't think any of us would ever embellish a story, nor have we ever known anybody to embellish a story and say, well, God just told me that we needed to do this. 
I don't think any of us would. But I've known people who do. And I think that maybe Jacob just has used God to give him a little help along. And, and the thing is, is he really didn't need to go to all that effort. Leah and Rachel were really upset with Daddy anyway. Rachel and Leah looked around and, and they said, look, he's, he's, you, he sold us to you. And, and then he spent all the money that he got for us. And we have no inheritance. And our sons and, and we are treated like outsiders. It's, it's time to go. They were really angry. Their father had cheated them as well as he had cheated Jacob. And he says, everything that you have gathered together, they said to Jacob, belongs to us and to our sons. It's ours by right. So let's do what God says and pack everyone and everything up and head off to Canaan. And that very night, Jacob put the family on the camels and he gathered his servants to herd the flocks and he headed out of town with everything he had. It turns out that they probably didn't have the conversation, Rachel and Jacob, that the ancient rabbis said, because Jacob did outsmart Laban. Now, we've talked about how the stories in Genesis have a universal quality and how they're about people who lie and cheat and steal and double deal and generally do whatever they think they need to do to feather their own nests. And as Genesis tells the stories, we've always been this way. And in spite of it all, God will work with whatever bits and pieces of ourselves we are willing to give him. If, though, this it's just the way human beings are is a big macro look at these stories, there's a closer and more personal way to look at them, too. There's a family side to it. Abraham and Sarah were from the same family. Laban and Rebekah, Jacob's mother, were children of Abraham's nephew, Leah and Rachel were Jacob's first cousins. And from the beginning, almost as soon as we meet Abraham in these stories, everyone is scheming and lying and double-dealing, and there's not a lot of wisdom or a lot of virtue among the lot of them. But it's not just only that this is how human beings are. It is how this particular family is. From generation to generation, this is how the children in this family have been taught to deal with one another and with the world around them. It is their system. It is the normal behavior in this family. And one of the things that a careful reading of these stories invites us to do is to ask questions about the systems that we're creating in our own families and in the community around us, because the two are intimately connected. In our families, we're constantly shaping one another by the way we speak to one another, by the way we speak to others, or speak about others, especially those with whom we disagree. 
we shape one another by the way that we deal with problems and disappointments and tragedy, by the secrets we keep and by the truths that we are able to tell or that we do not tell. We shape our families by the way we deal with anger, by the way we give praise, by the way we pay attention. There are countless ways that we shape our families and our community by, for good or for ill, even if there are no children in our house. And we often do it unconsciously because it is all we know and it seems so very normal. Now, I'm not going to stand here this morning and give you the endless list of things that we might do rightly or wrongly. But I will ask this of you. When it comes to your community and your family, do you aim for the highest and best sort of human being that you can imagine? Do you hold that up as your model and try and live into it? And do you share that way of being with those around you? Excuse me. If you do that, you will shape your family and your community well. If you do not, it will not be shaped well all on its own. Now, one of the interesting things about the Bible, and especially about the Old Testament, is how raw and real and full of error and evil and many of the people in the stories are. Not everyone in the Bible is a person you should emulate. Often, they are people that you should use as an example of what not to be or what not to do. I cannot imagine anyone saying to a child or a family member, you know what, you should be more like Jacob. Do we really want a family full of Jacobs? And what goes around comes around again. Let me finish the story and let me show you in the ending of this story how, how the family has been shaped never quite goes away. Three days after Jacob and his family rode off into the night, Laban learned that they were gone and he went steaming after them because he wanted all those flocks and those herds and his, the wives and the children. He wanted everything back. And he's sure that Jacob has had to have stolen some animals that should have been in his flocks and worst of all, somebody when they took, took off and left town Somebody had taken his household gods. And Jacob invites Laban to inspect his flocks, and he cannot find any animals that should be his. And then he demands returns of the gods. And Jacob is so sure that no one in his household has taken those household gods, they don't serve them after all, that he volunteers to kill whoever took the gods when Laban finds them. And Laban is then invited to go inspect all the baggage and all the tents and everything else, and no gods turn up. And at the very last, he goes into Rachel's tent to search there. 
Now, Jacob didn't know it, but Rachel had put those gods in the saddlebag on her camel. And she was sitting in the middle of the tent with the saddlebag underneath of her. And when Laban came steaming in to find his household gods, because he just knew they were there somewhere, she remained seated on that saddlebag, and she got rid of him in a hurry. She said, Dad, you know, I'm really sorry I can't stand up to greet you because, well, well, you know, it's that time of the month, and I have to stay here like this. I can't get up. Search over, Laban left. His daughter, on the other hand, had channeled her inner Laban. And like her father, she lied and tricked him to get what she wanted. It was what she knew. It was the system with which she had been raised. It was the value she had been taught. It's good as we think about what kind of community and what kind of family we want to remember what goes around comes around again and again and again. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in hearing our sermons in real time, you can check us out at our website, www.goodshepherdbrentwood.org, or attend online during our 1015 Sunday live stream on YouTube. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Good Shepherd Brentwood. If you have any questions or comments, or maybe you'd like to meet with one of our clergy, you can email us at office at goodshepherdbrentwood.org. Or if you're interested in visiting in person or have questions about our programs and services, you can text 615-637-3738, where you'll be contacted by our staff. We'd love to meet you.